All right, thank you for tuning in to Radical Rocks. Today we've got an exciting episode with Peridot, uh, Shard Onyx, Fennel, Bone Crushing Dogs, Hell's Aquarium, Phosphates, Phosphorus, and more. Radical rocks are everywhere. Hey guys, today we've got a very exciting episode, as I was telling you. We've got a lot of rocks and gems. We've got some gold mining stories, a little bit of fossil news, and so much more. Um, you'll notice the podcast is a little bit late. I guess uh, a day late and a dollar short, maybe two days. Been really busy this week. Uh, work has been quite demanding, so... Um, just trying to catch up on that. Thank you for tuning in, joining our social media. You uh, you know the story. Just look up Radical Rocks, and you can find us on most social media, also YouTube, and so on and so forth. So let's get right into it. Um, got a treasure story. There was a long-lost treasure that was discovered uh, filled with gold and jewels Long-lost jewelry discovery in shark-infested waters. You can find this at uh, jewelermagazine.com by Samuel Ord. And they've got some beautiful pictures of this filigreed necklace, which is basically a very ornate, heavy gold necklace with these rings. Also, they found emeralds, looks like possibly rubies, gold, silver, other uh, coins, Spanish coins. So what happened was this was a wreck from a Spanish galleon that sunk in the Bahamas in the 1600. The translation of the name of the the boat or the ship was Our Lady of Wonders. It sunk on the western side of Little Bahama Bank off a of Grand Bahama Island about 70 kilometers offshore shore in early January of 1656. Uh, Looks like there were 650 people on board this galleon and only 45 survived. So that must have been pretty horrific with all those sharks um, chomping on them. But the wreckage was scattered and people have found bits and pieces of it, approximately one-tenth of the treasure. But now more than half of the treasure... um, is still unfound, but this latest attempt was something else. Treasure hunters continue to brave these shark-infested waters to this day, and Allen Exploration worked alongside the Bahama and U.S. marine archaeologists and divers has reported a major find. Among the treasures discovered was the gold filigree chain with rosette motifs and gold pennant bearing the cross of Santiago. The chain is five feet long and weighs two pounds of gold. Another pennant features the gold cross of St. James under a large green oval emerald framed by a dozen square emeralds. 
quite spectacular. Emeralds and amethysts mined in Colombia suggest the galleon was involved in trafficking treasures not listed on the manifest. So some shenanigans going on there. But the oval and green pennant uh, was breathtaking, said uh, one of the people there. And uh, the history of this is amazing. And hopefully they will find some more. There was rumors that everything had been ground to dust, but yet here it is. They have maps showing where it is, uh, description of the galleon, pictures of the treasures, a video, and so much more that you can check out if you want to find out more about that. Another interesting story we didn't talk about in the sub in the description, I guess, is the Sarlenka largest sapphire family corundum found. This is at economynext.com and you can read about the largest corundum ever found. It's been verified this is a single stone, a single stone of over 500 kilograms found a cluster of star sapphire type corundum weighing over 500 kilograms. I converted that to pounds and it's 1,102 pounds just over that. Corundum is family of sapphire found in Sri Lanka and also Madagascar. Usually they're only pebbles, but this time they found a big one. The stone was dug in an area well known for gems. They're going to try and sell it on an online auction. And uh, the color with the traditional metal impurities of aluminum oxide can give colors of blue or red. And this one is opaque while blue sapphires are clear and they have a light on it and there is patches of blue visible. There also is clear areas inside like seeds of a jackfruit, they said. They need to examine it more. Corundum, by the way, is formed when molten magma is forced out of the Earth's core and it cools. Magma is usually about 3,500 degrees centigrade. Corundum begins to form when the magma cools to about 2,200 degrees centigrade. And these gems are found in Sri Lanka in a secondary deposit in the formations of Rekwanda and surrounding areas. Heavier stones get deposited at the bottom of a waterway. Very hard to come up with a value for this, but uh, I'm sure it will get a pretty good uh, contribution. Now, I may have reported on this, but Rockhounders should dig this new app from the Utah Geological Survey and Bureau of Land Management. You go to kslnewsradio.com and you can find out about this app, which will help you with rock hounding in Utah. The article by Abe Gendero Lucero in Salt Lake City, it says you get your hammer, grab eye protection, and you can find the Geological Survey and Bureau of Land Management maps that are available here to help you sniff out these areas. Rock hounding is very popular in Utah, and the app is based on the UGS book published in 1995, A Collector's Rock Guide, rock, uh, a guide to rock and mineral fossil sites in Utah. 
The app has 109 identified sites that continue to be updated, and this can be linked right to the, G, the uh, GPS. And even the UGS website has contact information for rockhounding gym and mineral clubs that you can look up that are also quite um, good in, in uh, helping you find these areas and areas that uh, the general public may not know about. There's geodes, trilobites, and other information, even just landscaping rocks that can be found. So if you want to check that out, go for it. Excuse me. <coughs> A 30-foot prehistoric underwater lizard is found in Texas. This baby was 30 feet long, this fossil. NatureWorldNews.com. You can find out about this. Ryan Jordan tells us that paleontologists discovered these petrified bones of this 30-foot aquatic lizard in Texas. This thing had teeth like nobody's business. They're curved inward. Once you got in his bite, you were going to go down his stomach. It took uh, quite a while for them to delicately extract these fossils from clay-like rock in a riverbed. And uh, it is going to be uh, at the Parrot, Parrot, Museum of Nature and Science, and it is a uh, Mosasaur fossil, and that will, it was found in Northern Texas River last month. They say that these creatures coexisted with dinosaurs during the Creaceous period, and uh, Monosaurs were not dinosaurs, according to the National Park Service. Instead, their extinct group was closely related to monitor lizards and snakes that still live today, including the 10-foot Komodo dragon. So you can check that out if you want. Pretty interesting discoveries. Peridot. We're going to talk about Peridot quite a bit. Um, I want to backtrack to that in just a minute because I've got uh, a couple other stories. A bone-crushing dog was discovered at Tennessee's Gray Fossil Site. Um, this dog was huge. You can find out about that at WKRN.com. Mary Mays tells us that in Nashville, at the East Tennessee State University Gray Fossil Site, they found evidence of animals in the dog family um, lately, and they hadn't found anything this exciting in the last 20 years. And this dog weighed up to 160 pounds estimated about the size of a full-grown wolf today. I feel because of the way the jaw is, this dog uh, would have not just eaten the animal, but crushed the bones and possibly eat them as well. Kind of like hyenas, they eat bones. A lot, of, a lot of animals eat bones. People aren't aware of that, but uh, a lot of them do. Um, this Barophagus dog is found in ancient grasslands and open habitats, they feel. They feel that the gray fossil site was once an ancient forest. So, um, pretty cool. They said that this is an oddball living in an ecosystem. We don't normally find these dogs. They did find other predators in the area, alligators, saber-toothed cats, and a majority of herbivores. So, there's still a lot of exploring that can be done here at this uh, gray fossil site in Tennessee. Sounds pretty fun. Now, under birthstones for the month of August, we have uh, Peridot and also uh, Shard Onyx. They 
give a brief history of Peridot here at earthsky.org. And um, it's just posted by the editors here. They've got some beautiful Peridots that have been faceted. Um, it is the birthstone for August. It is a form of olivine. We've talked about that. It's composed of magnesium iron silicas and the origins of olivine, uh, the color origins or ranges rather, from olive to lime green, sometimes even with a brownish tinge. If it has iron crystals, it gives it the green color. The brownish tinge indicates a very, very high iron content. Um, they appear greener under artificial light and have been given the name uh, Evening Emeralds. This goes back to the ancient history in the Red Sea, and uh, olivine is a uh, Arabic uh, stone originally, and um, goes back many, many years. We've talked about this. There's a lot of areas where you can get peridot, uh, Marimar in uh, Burma, Norway, Brazil, China, Kenya, Sri Lanka, Australia, Mexico, um, San Carlos Indian Reservation in Arizona, Hawaii. Uh, you can find this all over. Even meteorites have olivine peridot in it. There's a long history. Uh, peridots was the topaz, they think, on the breastplate of Aaron in the Bible. Egyptians used it, and many people thought that it was emeralds. Greeks and Romans also had inlays in their pennants and such. Crusaders also had the stone, who thought they were emeralds. And it was prized by the Ottoman Empire. But another birthstone for August, we're going to talk more about Peridot in a minute, is Chardonyx, which is a silica mineral, which is really chalcedony, or an agate, uh, layered microcrystals, layered tiny quartz fibers, giving it a beautiful banded appearance. Usually has reds, blacks, grays, whites. It can be very beautiful. Uh, flat white, brownish red bands is the traditional with red is even better. The Some of the names mean veined gem because of the different colors. This can be found in different areas. Germany, of course, back in uh, the Middle East, India, Brazil, Uruguay. Lake Superior agates are a type of uh, sardonyx. Oregon, all over the United States are deposits of shard onyx. So this is used for art, for decorations, and for gemstones. They have one here that has heavy red bandings with white bandings mostly. But uh, the more colorful, the more beautiful that it can be, there is quite a history for this stone. Many stories are included here with the shard onyx if you want to check that out at earthsky.org. Um, Hell's Aquarium. Have you ever heard of that? Well, Hell's Aquarium is actually in western Kansas. An article entitled, 80 million years ago, western Kansas was Hell's Aquarium. Here's what it can teach us today at hppr.org. We can find out what this is. It was just a soup of fossils that was found about the ancient ocean. David Kondos tells us about this, that people who want to learn about the prehistoric ocean, an unlikely place about as far from the sea as you can imagine, Kansas, you could find out in the Castle Rock Badlands of Kansas about sea turtles, 
They say that this information will help save sea turtles from climate change. You can uh, dig around maybe with some of these clubs and uh, see an area that was once covered with ocean, just as many traditions in the Bible tell us the earth was. Remnants of that life are embedded in rocky outcrops, has made it a magnet in Kansas for generations of scientists studying long-gone oceans. And uh, if you go through this article, it is quite lengthy. They feel they've only found about 1% of all the species that would have lived here. So there's many things yet to be discovered in these diggings. Um, they have an a, a old picture here. Looks like it is from 1928. The paleontologist George Sternberg Berg sits in his haze shop surrounded by fossils. Now these fossils are jaws that uh, look like some of them are up to two feet tall and three to maybe even four feet wide of uh, dinosaurs. Some of them have like two horns right in the front, short stubby horns toward the nose. And the teeth look, uh, on some of these ones, the teeth look on the front, they do look kind of like a sharp carnivorous teeth, but the ones in the back do look like a molar type teeth. So all sorts of creatures have been found here. He's also got the head of what looks like an Ichosaurus. Um, Sternberg Museum of National History has quite a bit of information on these creatures that existed so supposedly a long, long ago in uh, Northern America in what was once part of the Arctic Ocean to the Gulf of Mexico. And these sea monsters patrolled the water. And they were quite for, uh, ferocious, bus-length reptiles with razor-sharp teeth, giant carnivorous teeth, clams the size of car hoods. It was no day at the beach. This is why they call it Hell's Aquarium here. Um, some of the pictures of these fossils are quite striking. And uh, this is a, a really good, uh, long, lengthy article here. You can find out they found actually a fossil within a fossil. They call it a fish within a fish. Uh, this huge fossil is put out here at the Sternberg Museum. Uh, not see, it's 14 feet long, perfectly intact. Um, and inside its belly is an eight foot long fish that it swallowed. So it must have swallowed this right before they died, according to uh, the article here. Many more jaws and fossils are being identified and found. Um, they have a great program there. They have x-rays to x-ray these, uh, these things. The dig site is quite impressive. Looks uh, like a little uh, canyon, stone canyon here, where they have some pictures where fossil hunters get to glimpse into the prehistoric seafloor that once existed and um, more pictures of, of uh, early days there and yeah pretty cool more fossils and history there if you want to read about that that sounds like a pretty neat area to go check out an Australian TikToker goes viral for cracking Moroccan geodes if you go to MoroccanWorldNews.com, he here uh, is showing some of the geodes that he's found. He started collecting when he was 11, 
Um, Ayin bin uh, Zinzin, or Zizai, Z-I-Z-I, tells us about this uh, famous, kind of gone viral TikToker here. 1.4 million hits because of his 13 years of knowledge about rocks and minerals. Um, And this is quite popular. People love watching these rocks get cracked open. So he has a huge audience. He's uh, generated many sales. So I guess TikTok could be a way of uh, catapulting your online uh, business. uh, Phosphorites, rich mineral, mineral mineral-rich rocks offer insight into ancient Nambia. At Minifin, it's M-E-N-A-F-N dot com, you can find out about these phosphorites here. Um, and these minerals are very important. They're in mobile phones. They're in cars. They're even in the food we eat. Phosphorus is a mineral with many uses. It's extracted from rocks that are called phosphorites. It can be used in fertilizer, animal feed, food additives, detergents, uh, herbicides, as well as various other industries. It could be useful another way, too, they claim, to find out how our climate and oceans and environment changed over long periods of time. And this might be because there is little tiny fossils that are inside of these that can be seen. So when they look at how they're formed, they try to relate this and come up with uh, hypotheses and uh, ideas of of what would happen, uh, what happened in the past, and then they try to use that and correlate it to today. These Nambia deposits are different. Uh, some are sedimentary. Some these are formed from the sediments. Of course, these are the ones that give us the the history of the past. Some are igneous. They come from rocks from volcanic or mag magnetic, uh, you know, magma uh, deep in the earth from the magma. And also guano deposits, which is bat poop. That is a wonderful phosphate source. These caves where bat droppings accumulate. Uh, I don't know how long that is, uh, you know, can be, can be mined. Maybe there's a way they can mine it without disturbing the bats. I don't know. But South Africa has extensive offshore phosphorate deposits that have been discovered during the first decade of the 21st century. These marine uh, phosphorates are sedimentary. They're brown to black. They look like sand-sized grains, small pebbles, and rock fragments. They're found with fossil materials such as whalebone, fishbone, the remains of sponges, sea urchins, um, biovalves such as clams, marine gastropods such as snails, and other fossils and small marine organisms that... uh, that you can uh, find out more about if you want. So there's a lot to it. They feel that this was formed millions of years ago. Um, They look at it under a microscope and they can see these concentric bands that show different episodes and repeated cycles of formation at different ages. And that tells them a story of how they grew around non-phosphoric nodules. And these deposits come from an upwelling system highly productive marine system that ran along or runs along the western coast of South Africa beginning off Nambia. Upwelling is a process where sea surface waters are replaced by colder, nutrient-rich water from below. 
And this is one of the world's most productive upwelling systems. So there's a high amount of organic matter that can support functioning marine ecosystems. So it goes on and on to talk about this if you want to read it. It's fairly lengthy, but uh, they know by looking at this, they say what happened with carbon dioxide levels and how that affected sea life. And they want to use that to try to tell us that uh, the world's coming to an end and we're all going to die probably would be my guess. Spinel. Spinel is a beautiful red gemstone. Our friends at Rock and Gem tell us about Spinel. They send me emails. I recommend subscribing to their magazine. Spinel is a magnesium aluminum oxide. It forms beautiful crystals, sometimes confused with rubies. Unlike rubies, they form a hexagonal crystal. Spinel crystals are formed as a octahedral drawn which is uh, obviously not as square, has more, more corners around it. Also, two crystals may grow together as triangular planes to form a contact 20. This happens so frequently with spinel that such crystals are commonly called spinel law twins, when, uh, whatever mineral they occur in. So, spinel's characteristics, they are nice and hard. They're glassy, luster, they can be black, green, blue, lilac, orange, brown, pink, or white. They're about 7.5 to 8 on the hardness scale, so very nice and hard to work with. Red and lilac varieties could fluorescent, light up under a fluorescent light. The ones from the Sterling Hill Mining Museum uh, will do that. A brilliant red or yellow-green under ultraviolet light. Spinel is one series of closely related mineral varieties that depend on the amount of magnesium present. If magnesium is wholly or partly replaced by iron, the result in the mineral is called hurosinite. If replaced by zinc, the result is gehenite. If replaced by mag magnanese, the result is galaxite. Spittle's similar differences... Um, is much like a metamorphic rock. It is found in metamorphic rocks, in marbles. Uh, it is associated with ruby and corundum. Also as uh, a platonic rock, which is found in the garbo, the mixed uh, rocks that you will find. And uh, it can erode from its host rock and end up in river gravel. In the United States, spinel is a metamorphosized limestone in the New York to New Jersey Highlands Belt. Also, it's found in uh, Miramar, Sri Lanka, Madagascar. They have a lot that they produce. The crown jewel of Great Britain, the Black Prince's Ruby, is actually spinel. Like corundum, spinel can be uh, synthesized by what is called the Vernil method, which is uh, how synthetic gemstones are made. I think it was one of the first uh, synthetic um, gemstones that had been made. You add differing pigmenting ele elements, and labs can create various colors, al allowing spindle to be used for look-alike gems like sapphire, aquamarine, and peridot. And then... Uh, it says this story was originally appearing in Rock and Jim magazine and was a story by Jim Brace Thompson. So definitely want to give him credit for that. Now, our 
almost last story. I have a gold mining story for you gold mining bugs if you want to hang in there. But Rock and Jim also tells us about Peridot. And it tells us about the Peridot Mesa Gym Mine. And this, uh, again, you go to rockandgym.com. You can get their emails. Definitely subscribe to their paper, uh, their newspaper, their magazine, rather. And you can see the San Carlos Apache Tribal Lands of Arizona, just a few miles east of Globe, Arizona. Peridot is a rich green to yellow-green color found in these layers of uh, basalt, basaltic lava. Olivine, we know, is what peridot is a form of olivine. <clears throat> and uh, there is a whole story behind that that we've talked about many times. The evolution of peridot mining, uh, you can find out about that. Egyptians first mined it by the Red Sea. Uh, as far as this article goes, it was considered the gem of the sun and now is the national gemstone of Egypt. And uh, they go on to some of the history that we've already talked about before. San Carlos, Arizona. Today, the Peridot deposits supply most of the commercially sold and used Peridot. Tribal members mine the Peridot, which occurs in small green grains in the basalt. And the whole structure is called Peridot Mesa, mined exclusively by local residents. And uh, they are the place where they find them and they finish them. So you can get some really nice gemstones there. You can visit this area and uh, they tell you what it is made out of. Sometimes these Peridot would appear in volcanic bombs, large masses of molten lava ejected during an eruption that shoot up into the air, the bombs cool as they fall to earth, taking on a recognizable twisted, elongated egg shape in which peridot is sometimes found. So that's pretty cool. Um, the Smithsonian has a cut gem green uh, gemstone from the peridot mesa that weighs 35 carats. Amazing size for this region and uh, makes this area very, very pronounced pronounced and uh, popular. Peridot characteristics, the hardness is between 6.5 and 7, has poor cleavage, which means it can be faceted, uh, vitreous luster, fine colors depend on what you're finding. That would constitute a fine gem, the better the color. Peridot above ground, there are many areas where uh, it can be found in limited amounts. The black sands of Hawaii are mixed with green grains of peridot. None of the grains are large enough to facet, but uh, still is pretty. Many areas around the world where peridot can be found. They talk about peridot in space and more. Again, the story is credited at the end by Bob Jones, who is very, very wise when it comes to gemstones and that type of history. Now, our friends at Gold Rush Expeditions send me out a magazine on gold mines, a miner's review. It's free. You can sign up for it. Just go to their website, Gold Rush Expeditions, and uh, they talk about several mines here. It's issue five, volume one. They tell us here about the Climax Gold Mine. The article's called The Comics of the Climax Gold Mine. It's quite lengthy. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about it, but uh, this was a hard rock area 
uh, Leadville area. And people in this article are telling about their accounts of what happened at the Climax Mine. Um, somebody who had no underground gold mining history would spend many, many hours underground. Uh, humor became the way of dealing with the stressfulness of being underground for many, many hours, probably 8 to 10 hours a day, only aided by the light of a, uh, a coal lamp or, or some type of a cap lamp. Other miners at the Climax um, were hired because of their underground mining experience, and people were always nervous on their first days. Um, they had their hard hats caked with months of dirt when you saw the miners that had been there. And there they go, down into the ground to work. Um, let's see if I can get to some more of the story here. It says here that uh, one day, Voynich had worked at the Climax for about three months and finally got to watch a masterpiece play out. One afternoon, Voynich gets to the lunchroom early and finds two old-timers engrossed in a project. They spin around, and they see Voynich, and their initial look of guilt turned into wide grins. They show Voynich the grease sandwich which they are preparing for Fuzzy, a bald Texan miner who always bragged about the, the delicacies his wife packed in his lunch, his lunch pail. So this uh, was fed to him, and of course... Uh, People would get really mad. This article goes on to all these different tricks that uh, they would play on each other. This mine. I was hoping there would be more to it. But it, this mine was Colorado's largest molybdenum mine and uh, operated all the way um, up until the 1970s. But uh, they have pictures of the shift change and a lot of great history here. You can also find out about many other mines as well. The Double Down Mine, which is uh, the Raleigh Mine, they call it. This is in the Bonanza Mining District. It had the richest gold and silver deposits in the state of Colorado. But this one site was overlooked in southern Colorado near the headwaters of Kerber Creek. So other mines that were in the area were the Silverton the mighty 14ers and uh, Bonanza District has just as many minerals as other Colorado district. Historical names like Antoro, Raleigh, and Shawmut, as well as many other sites within Bonanza, have produced hundreds of thousands of dollars in a span of decades. Today, the Bonanza's historical mines still stand, uh, but a lot of them are nothing's going on there it says here that uh, in uh, 1880 Tom Cook a resident of Salida was searching for wild horses in the northwest mountains of San Luis Valley he didn't find horses but he discovered something much more valuable he noticed rich float which is uh, minerals with gold, like quartz with gold, in the Raleigh Gulch. And, of course, he tried to keep it a secret, but the excitement of the gold discovery got the best of him, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, started a stampede. 
and uh, there it was on in Raleigh happened in 1902 the in 1902 the property there brought um, bought some more properties and then they developed the mine even though the ore had not been worked for a profit in the beginning um, they kept on working another mine Raleigh mine was 18 miles away from the nearest railroad so that kind of hurts so they had to they would have to ship everything in right they have a a truck that dumped right into a railroad car. They have a picture where they tried to roll this truck and dump dump the stuff into it, and the whole dang truck flipped up into it. But in 1903, <clears throat> the owners of Raleigh erected a mill on the site. The mill was massive and capable of crushing 100 tons of ore per day, but they were unsuccessful. In 1911, the Raleigh Mining Company hit a major roadblock. Uh, there wasn't enough water, so they had to try to figure out a way to do that. They cut a drainage tunnel and brought water in, and then the Raleigh Mining Company started work on a mile-long tunnel called the Raleigh 12. Developers planned for the 12 to start Squirrel Gulch, start out at Squirrel Gulch, and travel all the way to the underside of the existing Raleigh workings. The project was extremely expensive at the time, more than $100,000 and took 17 months. So just to kind of understand what that meant, in 1911, workers were paid between 2 to $5 per shift, and the cost of uh, a cord of wood was $2 at that time. So I think wood is probably like $300-something now for a cord of uh, halfway decent wood here. So quite quite a endeavor. Um they talk about the development of the railroad um, that came through. And then uh, the upper levels of the mine, this is when they were producing some ore. The upper levels, they'd found a combination of ore containing silver, lead, and copper. On the lower levels, they found ore that contained silver, copper, and pyrite. So there was different levels with different minerals that were being found. Then they found at uh, the lower 12 level a discovery of much larger ore body, which was much more profitable. And uh, they cut into it, and it released a glorious rush of water that completely drained the main level in 38 in 38 days the drainage tunnel plan was a huge success so their tunnel uh, worked and they concluded they continued mining and they were able let's see the sixth level netted them a million dollars in ore so it's quite profitable they have some pictures of some of the ores that were found about around that area the water meant that 200 to 300 tons of ore could be processed on site every day. So now it's becoming very profitable. Between 1921 and 1923, the Raleigh Mining Company worked on building another mill. Um, they built a 7.5 long tramway to the railroad, which that helped get the, uh, the ore there quicker. And then the next seven years, Raleigh produced an estimated... 476,000 tons of ore. The mine was abandoned in 1930. 
and uh, they went bankrupt and closed due to World War II. The mine has been held by various large mining companies over the following years. The American Smelting and Refining Company, known as ASARCO, had produced high-grade gold, slurry, from the Raleigh mine until the mid-1980s when the price of gold took a tumble. In the early 1900s, they uh, were bullied by the state of Colorado, according to this article. They created a reclamation program. In 1996, the company cleared the massive Raleigh 12 and diverted the discharge and removed thousands of tons of valuable gold and silver waste from the dumps and buried them in a repository outside the Bonanza in 1999. The EPA decided to reclaim the Raleigh mine due to environmental impact of water flowing out of the mine. The EPA did so without evaluating the interior of the mine or its deposits. So I guess it's a story of reclamation gone bad, but it was a pretty neat mine. So there's a lot of other great stories here, but I'm going to call it the end of the show right there. I want to thank you guys for all tuning in, for liking, sharing, subscribing. Until next time, remember, rock hounds don't die, they petrify.